0: Real Life, Real Conversations Hello and welcome back to Real Talk brought to you by IMU Christian Fellowship where we seek to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and edify one another in His Word. I'm your host, Xander from DN119. So this week we have Eldon with us again to continue our series of Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. And it's good to hear from you again, Eldon.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back again. Um, And this is the fifth week. Now, so it's probably about yeah. yeah six weeks into the MCO now. um Again... Yeah, um,
0: and it's our last week for
1: this series as well. Unfortunately, yeah. But uh, yeah. it's great to be with you all.
0: Thank you very much for helping us out, actually. Most welcome. So, yeah. yeah. In our previous session, uh, we heard about why God appoints suffering for His servants, which is in essence to grow them in holiness and for the spread of His gospel. And so in line with that, Um, There are a few questions for us this week from the audience and I'll just go through them one by one. Okay. So the first question will be, is it true that God will not give us more than we can handle? Hmm.
1: Okay, uh, regarding this question, and I'm guessing you're probably quoting from uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. uh, But as you can see in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, um, he's talking about temptation here. So uh, God will not let us... Be tempted beyond our ability, uh, but with the temptation that He will also provide the way of escape that we will be able to endure it. Um, So here we must be careful not to uh, say that God will not give us suffering beyond what we can handle. Um, And I think if you search the scriptures, um, you don't see anywhere indicating that God will not give us suffering beyond what we can handle. Um, Very often you'll find that Christians go through suffering beyond what they can handle. um, But What comforts us in the Bible, or rather the promise that God gives us, um, I'll elaborate more later, is that God, in fact, um, keeps us Christian. And that is how he perseveres us. So even if the suffering is beyond what we can tolerate, thresholds of pain that we cannot stand, uh, but what God does promise is that he sustains us and he keeps us Christian. He keeps us dependent on him and he keeps us persevering until he comes again. So um it's important to distinguish that and, and uh temptation because in, in terms of temptation we see that yeah God is uh very clear in terms of how he will not tempt us beyond our ability. So um yeah it's important to make this that distinguishing. Okay. So it's more like
0: um he may actually give us more than we can handle but yet he will hold us fast um, he'll persevere us through that suffering, right? Yeah, that's right. Ah, okay. Okay, so the second question, and even the third question actually are quite similar, Um, but I'll go with the second question first. What if I really cannot bear with this Christian suffering anymore? For example, being too tired or too stressed out with all the persecution going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so all these are good questions, uh, Zenda, And um, they are what I'll be answering as well in today's talk. Um, If you cannot bear with this suffering, so uh, most of us will think um, that we will probably give up on Christianity um, or we will want to just end that suffering, right? Um, In this case, uh, if I am to remind you that a Christian uh, will hold fast to Jesus in the midst of the suffering to a point where um, last week we heard in Romans 5 He will take joy in his suffering, seeing that um, even though he's not enjoying the suffering physically, even though he's not enjoying the suffering um, maybe psychologically, uh, but most certainly theologically, and his heart is at peace knowing that in fact God is giving him this suffering um, in order to mature him to be like Christ or to build up his church. And so, a Christian who is holding on to these truths, um, they might end up. I guess getting uh, tired and needing a a long period of rest or maybe even a break, you know, or to go on holiday uh, or uh, they might even need, you know, to have um, some sort of, I guess, um, comfort, physical comfort, like, um, you know, maybe to be treated by uh, medicine, hospital, etc. But here, we must appreciate that um, when we talk about a Christian not bearing anymore, uh, the Christian, in the end, will not give up on his faith. So you you can rest, you can relax, you can seek for physical comfort and physical relief, um, and that is all good for a Christian who is suffering. Um, but a Christian should not give up his Christianity, and there is in fact no reason why he should give up on his Christianity, knowing that suffering is what will uh, mature him and what will cause him to persevere. In fact, today I'm going to quote. Uh, from Philippians, right? When Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Until you get that understanding of how dying for the gospel is gain, um, then you won't grasp basically the the throbbing heart of the gospel, which is uh, that our lives are all centered around Christ and his worthy gospel. And if we have one life to live, it will be for that gospel. And if we die, in fact, it is gain. So um, a, a Christian who is really struggling with suffering, if he cannot bear with it, um, need to take a rest, go ahead, need to get some relief, go ahead, uh, but don't ever give up your Christianity. Hang on to that. Understand that there is there is eternal life that awaits you um, on the other side of heaven, right? And uh, we just need to persevere, even if it means to the point of death. Okay. Um,
0: I think something you said, uh like taking a rest. In in a Christian context, what would that look like? Like when someone's in persecution and he's it's
1: it's too much to handle. What what do you mean by taking a rest? Yeah. So that's a good follow-up question. Um uh, so taking a rest would be not sinning, right? So often sometimes we think of taking a rest as um doing the things that please us from a fleshly point of view. So let's say if you're facing suffering and um it's it's a persecution kind of suffering um, to rest would not be to then tell the people okay I'm not standing for the gospel anymore you know stop persecuting me and uh, that will give me rest uh, not that kind of rest but probably um, he can voice out his intense persecution to um, other Christian groups or churches outside and maybe they can come in and relieve him right or you know provide him a way to then be taken out of that situation for a while. Or let's say if he's needing to constantly fight, you know, in this persecution to, to fight to protect the gospel. Um, if he's really needing to just stop fighting for a while, well, he, then he can take that break. As long as he's not uh, taking the position of giving up on that fight, and and that would be sinning, right? Where he ends up uh, denying what he was fighting for previously. Yeah,
0: yeah. I agree. yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: That makes sense. <laughs> okay, so
0: for our third question, um, it's a little bit more, I think it can be close to home uh, or even quite applicable for times like this where depression and suicide is very, very prevalent in our society. So the question is, if a Christian commits suicide or desires to die to escape hardships, is this forgivable by God? So I think, I think you would know that there was recently, not quite recently, maybe last year, there was a pastor who actually committed suicide, and that that was that shook the Christian world
1: quite a bit. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts, Elden? Mm. Yeah. So, um, I've got two sides of uh my answer to this question. Uh, firstly, it is addressing um the taboo that most Christians have, which is that suicide is a, uh, is a sin that cannot be forgiven meaning that the moment you commit suicide, um, you will not be forgiven by God. Uh, But the Bible is very clear that there is only one sin that's not forgivable, which is um, you denying the Holy Spirit, right? You going against the Holy Spirit. Basically, the one sin that is not forgivable is you apostatizing, right? And turning away from God, away from the faith. So you must be clear, based on Romans 8, which we covered the other day, right? From 8.18 onwards, all the way to 39. That in fact, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if God has chosen you, um, even with this sin of suicide, and you got to see suicide as, even though it's more selfish a sin compared to the other sins, right? And it's in a way um, a lot more, um, how do I put it? It's like, you know, normally when you sin, you, you sin against another person. But when you commit suicide, it's... At a level where not only are you sinning against the people that you love, but you're also sinning against God because He made you to serve Him, and you're you're deciding on who basically gets to say whether you live or not. You're basically playing God, lah, in in yourself. So I would think it's a it's a it's a very grave sin. Um, but the Bible does not put this sin as worse than the other sins. You see, so um, you need to see how in Romans eight, um, if the reason for you committing sin it's based on, for whatever reason, you are psychologically compromised or your mind is not in the right place and, and you sin. Uh, well, God's salvation and his sovereignty is greater than your sin. And so on one side of the coin, um, nothing will separate you from the love of God, uh, which includes suicide. But on the other side of the coin, and I have to say this because otherwise you'll just take it for granted, is that if a Christian understands who he is before God and he is already repentant of his sin, right? He has already crucified himself and decided to follow Jesus. Then a Christian will not take lightly his thoughts of suicide, right? Or the events that will lead him up to suicide. And therefore, in his human responsibility, which is also God-given, he will take actions to stop himself from From the events that would lead up to a suicide. He will try in every way to deal with his issues before he then selfishly takes his life, right? Maybe it means getting mental help, right? Maybe it means uh, consulting his pastors and elders and leaders, right, to get help psychologically. Uh, Maybe he needs certain stresses to be removed out of his life. He will, by all means, try his best as a Christian, will bear fruit. Uh, to deal with these thoughts of suicide, that will then cause him to not commit suicide. And in him not committing suicide, he is basically bearing the fruit of being a Christian. In other words, if you're tying these two two sides of the coin together, you will realize that um, in most cases, Christians will not and should not commit suicide. But occasionally, when um, their minds um, are going through some psychological or psychiatric um, issues, And and they are just blur and they can't think straight and they end up taking their life. We know that God is sovereign uh, over their lives and their salvation. I hope that's clear enough.
0: Yeah. So in a way, we can see suicide as like just sin, right? And as it is not an unforgivable sin as in the Bible, um, it is still forgivable in that regard. But yet, since it is sin, we are not, of course encouraged to partake in it right yeah yeah so i think that sums it up quite well la. so i think we really need to change our mindsets when it comes to to suicide and to mental health la. and mm-hmm. i think it, it i think society is making that shift already talking about mental health and all yeah that.
1: yeah Be- because i i used to work as a doctor so i've got quite a bit Mm. of insight into this Um, and I'm not planning to give a a talk on suicide now uh, or mental health (laughs) uh, but just in (laughs) a nutshell I I think uh, Mm. that the way that uh, modern medicine views psychiatric issues um, a lot of it is questionable according to the bible Um, but at the same time you cannot disregard the fact that um, mental issues do kind of compromise your thinking and clarity of mind uh, that will then cause you to behave in a way that is inconsistent with Uh, your belief or your profession so we do have cases where um, in the later parts of life just like dementia okay if you're accepting of dementia and how dementia can cause a person to say weird stuff uh, which is against the scriptures right against uh, what he believes in in the past um, and that doesn't change what God has done in him his elective work in this person Um, so likewise you have to accept that uh, there are some mental issues that will lead to suicide as well Um, that are kind of like on the same spectrum, but of course in in a different end of the spectrum from dementia. Yeah. Wow, I didn't didn't really think of it that way. (laughs) So I hope that
0: um, Eldon's answers have helped to shed light on your questions because I know it definitely helped with me and that you've understood a little bit more about God's goodwill for his servants. And as you all have been following our series, we hope that it has blessed you in deepening your understanding despite us being unable to meet physically throughout this MCO. And talking about MCO, the 28th of April, currently slated end of MCO, is just a few days away. And I don't know, just out of curiosity, what what are you most looking forward to after MCO has lifted, Elden? Well, I'll be looking forward to
1: gather again with God's people. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, meeting online is is... It's okay. It's good, but nothing beats meeting physically with God's people. And so, um, I'm not sure. I'm not too sure whether, um, the MCO will be lifted completely, right? Um, there might be some regulations. Maybe, you know, we'll only meet in groups of 50, but even so, they'll be better than what it is now. Um, of course, I'm also looking forward to uh, be able to meet with family and friends again, uh, after a long time and, uh, to be able to go out of our house, <laughs> uh, being cooped up for a month plus. It's, uh, quite tiring. Uh, yeah so I'm um, looking forward to get back to all of that yeah
0: yeah I think same here so I'm I just miss going back to see my own brothers and sisters in Christ both in CF and in church and to also go back to uni actually weirdly enough to study <laughs> yeah. it, it's really weird studying at home la. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure it is yeah
1: yeah it doesn't feel right yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. This, this time has been great yeah. to just you know, get us to reflect on our lives and and keep stock of what we have, um, and and how God has, I guess, given us this this period of time to just really take a break and think through our lives, what it means to be Christian, you know, how He has uh, blessed us with many things, our family, our friends, our university that we shouldn't take for granted. Of, you know, and um, I'm sure once we go back to it, we'll be like quite happy
0: that things are back to normal. yeah. So to continue on from last session, we know that one thing that Jesus tells us is that if we follow him, we will also suffer with him and that these sufferings are ultimately for our good and for his glory. However, in our human bodies, we may find it hard to go through these sufferings as some of the questions may have um, reminded us earlier and some of our conversation as well. So today for our final session of this series, Eldon will be speaking about God's grace in our sufferings, and we pray that today's sharing will encourage you in your walk with Christ. And so, the time's all yours, Eldon.
1: Thanks, Xander. Hi, friends. So, we've come now to the end of the series, and I hope you guys have benefited greatly from it, especially in this COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to thank IMUCF again for this timely arrangement of this topic. And as it has greatly encourage you. It has greatly encouraged me to, even as i prepared for these talks. Uh, I just want to do a bit of a recap before we go into today's topic. The whole point of the recap is to get you to see what we have been through in the past four weeks, right? How far we've come to then land into today's topic on God's grace in our sufferings. So in week one, we saw how God is sovereign over everything, right? Everything even over evil. In talk two, we saw that Although he is 100% sovereign, uh, at the same time, we are 100% responsible. And this is the way that the Bible reveals things to us. Thus, we experience suffering in his life because of our collective sins as a humanity, from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, and subsequently the rest of us human beings, and also because of our particular sins. God is thus just to judge us in the way that we experience suffering. In fact, he should have just wiped us out completely from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, from the time that we first rebelled against him. And so in this talk, talk number two, we saw that we all should in fact face evil and nothingness in life because we are 100% responsible. However, we saw that God is 100% sovereign, and that's the beauty of it, that God can be completely sovereign even over our failures, even over the suffering that we face. This then led up to talk number three, where we saw the sovereignty of God in the greatest work of evil or the greatest demonstration of evil in the history of humanity, which is the suffering of the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus' death is 100% our responsibility because of our sins. He had to go to the cross. It's 100% our responsibility because we crucified him. But at the same time, we see how this is God's sovereign plan from the the beginning of creation, before the foundation of the earth, to in fact send his son to redeem or to save a people for himself. And so now everyone's destiny is understood through this one plan through this one demonstration of suffering of Christ. And if you are on Jesus' side, if he has suffered for you, then whatever suffering that you will face or you are facing is to conform you to the image of him, of Jesus. Whereas if you're not on God's side, then whatever you're facing is for God's glorious purposes of punishing you for the sin that you deserve. And in last week's talk, sorry, in talk number four, we saw uh, that if you are on God's side, then suffering is indeed from God with the goal of conforming you to the likeness of His Son, Jesus. And we saw seven ways that suffering works for God's good purposes in us. All right, so today we're going to end this series with the topic of God's grace in our sufferings or in your sufferings. And in this last song, we want to try to be as real as possible with you. Our suffering is real. Sometimes it's so bad that we want to disregard all that we know. Sometimes it's so bad that whatever we heard in the first four sermons doesn't make sense anymore, right? We can't seem to see the light at the end of the tunnel. People keep telling us, don't worry, hang in there. There will be a light. There will be a light at the end of the tunnel. But we just can't seem to see this light. It feels like it's forever. I won't say that I understand what some of you are suffering what some of you are suffering right now because i I don't understand, and I won't probably ever understand what you're suffering. It can be the loss of a loved one, it can be a severe disease that you have that you've not told anyone in your kind of group of friends. It could be a physical disability that has brought you ridicule and frustration all your life. And it can be, well, the history of abuse or rape in your life. You know, when we contemplate suffering and the sufferings that we have in this life that are immense, we, we often feel like just dumping all our trust in God and cursing Him for our suffering. Just like Job's wife in Job chapter 2, verse 9. And we want to be real about this, right? This is real talk after all, and we want to get real about our struggles in life. There's no point creating a certain front that Christianity is a bed of roses. So for many of us, it does feel very much like the situation in the book of Job. We much rather be like Job's wife, right? Curse God and die, or his three friends. By the way, on a side note, Job is a really good book to teach you about suffering the sovereignty of God, and I highly recommend that you spend the time reading it um if you have more time in this MCO period. Well our suffering is real. It's it's bad, it's horrible, it's it's sometimes never ending. But there's two things I, I need you to know today from God's word. Even as we are trying to be completely real in this last talk, right? It's completely exposed to each other and the realities of this life. Number one, God knows your suffering. He does. He does. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, came in the form of a man. He took on flesh. And because he took on flesh, being fully man, he completely understands our weaknesses as human beings. He has been tempted in every respect as we are. But the difference is that he is without sin. He was obedient perfectly to the Father. In our third talk, in fact, we see how Jesus went through the worst kind of suffering ever, right? We get suffering because of sins that we have committed. In fact, we deserve our suffering. But Jesus, did he ever deserve any of his suffering? So he understands your suffering, friends, completely. Number two, God gives grace in your sufferings. Yes, specific to you. I know the title is God's Grace in Our Sufferings, because collectively we are people of God, right? But I'd like to highlight that God gives grace in your sufferings. And often in our Christian circles, we hear that God gives grace in this way, right? Yep. Cliché statement, Eldon. I know that. God gives grace in all circumstances. And often we will quote passages like 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, right? God is able to make all grace abound to you. Or Hebrews 4 verse 16. Right, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And normally what is communicated to us in, in these sermons, in these talks about God's grace being sufficient in all circumstances is that God will lessen or he will remove our suffering or that God will help you to bear with your suffering. But a lot of us, if we're completely honest with each other, a lot of us struggle with this truth because many a time things actually don't get better. Many a time, our suffering is not removed or or reduced, right? Many a time, we don't actually bear with our suffering and we call out to God and it feels like He does not answer us. You know what, friends? Despite how you feel and what you've experienced with God, God does give us grace in all our sufferings. But the grace here that is being talked about in the Bible, it's a different kind of grace. So where others might have taught you that God will lessen or remove your suffering, where others might have taught you that God will help you bear with your suffering. In fact, nowhere in the Bible do we see that God promises to remove our suffering. Nowhere. He does not promise that he will remove our suffering. He does not promise that things will get better. But in the Bible, God's grace is seen in the Gospel. God's grace is seen in the gospel ultimately and stems or flows out from the gospel. His grace, if I can be straight to the point, His grace is that which keeps you Christian. So God's promise is not that He will lessen or remove our suffering or help us to bear with our suffering. God's promise of grace in all circumstances is that He will keep us Christian in all circumstances. And this is similar to the purpose of prayer that you will understand from the Bible. Where many of us would think prayer is so that God can hear our requests and that he can answer us. Or our prayer in the Bible is so that we can change the mind of God. But in fact, the Bible teaches about prayer as dependence on God for his will to be done. And in Philippians 4 verse 4 to 7, it talks about how prayer essentially keeps us Christian. Philippians 4, 4-7. to Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do you know when Paul wrote Philippians 4, verse 4, he was in prison. He was being imprisoned by the Roman God. In Philippians 1, verse 12-13. to And as he's in prison, he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Yep, you can make known all your requests. You can pray to God. You can let Him know your struggles, your deepest grievances in this period of suffering. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which is that you are reconciled to God and that you have ultimately Have your sins dealt with through Jesus Christ. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, just to make it clear, from verse 6 to 7, it does not say, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and God will answer all your requests. No, we don't see that promise being made at all. In fact, what does God promise here, verse 7. In fact, the peace of God, which is won by Christ at the cross in reconciling you to the Father, this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, as you depend on Him, this peace will surpass all understanding and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, as you pray and as you depend on God, God keeps you in Christ. God keeps you Christian. And this is also reflected in the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught, which is so God-centered, which is centered around God's will to be done, right, and his kingdom to be established, which includes you being persevered to be his people who will live with him for eternity in heaven. So his grace for you here, friends, is that he keeps you trusting in his word. Whatever you've learned in the previous four weeks, his grace is that he will keep you trusting in that, which will keep you faithful till the end. His grace for you is that he's going to give you a firm theological foundation that will last through the storms of suffering in life. His grace is that he helps you to remember what you've learned from His word, that sufferings, in fact, is for the good of His church. This grace does not mean that you will feel happy and triumphant and often you'll feel very much in pain and completely lousy about yourself. And it doesn't mean that you will bear the sufferings well, necessarily. But it does mean that you will find strength to keep trusting in Him. It means that your mind will be set on the word of God to be truth. You might feel lousy about yourself. You might feel completely unwilling to talk to anyone sometimes. But you know that God's word is truth. And God keeps you faithful and persevering in that regard. His grace will keep you faithful to him, just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we see in Matthew 26, 36-44. Matthew 26, 36 to 44. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. You see, Jesus, he felt sorrow even before he went to suffer. He knows, he knew how bad his suffering on the cross would be. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. God understands Jesus' suffering. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see how here God keeps his son obedient to him, and here Jesus, the perfect son of God, remains obedient and faithful in this suffering. Verse 40 And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, let your will be done. Jesus was obedient to death on the cross, even in his suffering, and so now, being united by His Spirit, God is going to be keeping us faithful, just like Jesus was faithful to His Father. So this grace here that we're talking about, it's not just one of coping, is it? It's not just one that will cope through the suffering. But in fact, this grace is one that is radically Christian. It's one that keeps us radically Christian. And just to shape your thinking about how this grace keeps us Christian, this is the kind of mindset that this grace will produce in us. The mindset that Paul speaks about in Philippians 1 verse 21, which imitates Christ, which imitates Christ, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And I'm going to read from Philippians 1, verse 21. It says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Friends, until you grasp this verse, then you will not get what I'm saying in terms of how God's grace keeps you Christian, and therefore what this grace will look like in your life, even as you're suffering. It's the mindset where it's not just I'm waiting to get over with this cancer or I'm not. I'm just waiting to get over with this suffering, but rather it is the mindset where I will not waste my cancer or my disability or my suffering, but I will use it to glorify God. For me to live is Christ. Otherwise, to die is better. To die and be with God in heaven is better. And how do we shape this mindset? How do we understand this mindset? And I've got two questions to get you thinking about this mindset. All right, the first question is, what is your only comfort? So you can only appreciate this mindset if you understand the comfort that the Bible gives to you. And this comfort is comfort in the gospel. And when you grasp that your only comfort in life is the gospel, you will actually sound like this in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 7. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It's comfort coming from the Gospel, right? Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Just as Christ suffered and then entered into glory, so we are likewise comforted when we face sufferings as we enter into his glory. And so, once you get comfort in the gospel, you will see things the way that Paul is speaking about here in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 7. Second question to shape this mindset is, what are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? Friends, if you and I treasure the gospel, and we are anxious about the gospel, because we treasure it above all, then our mindset will be like this in Matthew 6, 19-34. And let me explain. In Matthew 6, 19-34, we see Jesus here exhorting his disciples, in verse 19, to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And the basis for him calling us to not lay up treasures, which is an action, right, of laying up, of keeping, of storing, the reason why he's calling us not to lay up these treasures is verse 21, because where your treasure is, there is where your heart is. So if you are laying up treasures on earth, basically your heart is in the treasures of the earth. You actually treasure the things of the earth. Verse 22 is a reminder that just as the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, right? The better way to understand this is if your eye is focused, it's set on one thing, then your whole body will be full of light. So if your focus is on the things of heaven, the things of God, your whole body will be full of the things of God. But if your eye is bad or double minded, right? If you're double minded, you say that you are Christian, but you actually treasure the things of the earth. Then in 23, it says your whole body will be full of darkness because you think that there is light in you, but in fact, there's just utter darkness. Verse 23. 24, we are being reminded that no one can serve two masters. Right, For either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And verse 24 makes clear what is happening in verse 21 to 23. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh you of little faith? And then he lands his point in 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. The connection between 31, 25, and 19 is made very clear. If you can look back between 31, 25 and 19. Your anxiety here in 31 is tied up with the anxiety in 25 and it's tied up with the laying up of treasures on the earth which is basically where your heart is. So the reason why you are anxious in 31 about what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear is because your heart is in these things and that's why you are laying up for yourself these treasures on earth. 31, therefore do not be anxious about these earthly treasures, for the Gentiles speak and they seek after all these things. Verse 32, when he says Gentiles there, he's saying the non believers are the ones who seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, or better phrased, because we're often being distracted by. Verse 33 being quoted in our Christian circles, our Christian lives. 33 is also better understood as, but be anxious for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things, all these things will be added to you. Meaning that, be anxious about God's kingdom. God will provide. Okay? It's not, be anxious about God's kingdom and then you will be blessed with all these things. That will be to be anxious so that we can achieve these things, right? Which will then miss the point of the entire passage. But here God is saying just one point clearly in Matthew 6, 19 to 33, 34. Be anxious for the things of God because where you are anxious, that is where your heart is. And that's so true. If we treasure something greatly, we will be anxious about it. If I treasure this one girl that I like, I'll be anxious when I see a message pop up in my phone as to what she has to say to me today. But if I hear about my neighbor's laundry that drops on the floor, right? And it doesn't bother me at all. If I hear from, let's say my friends, hey, your neighbor's laundry has dropped on the floor. Will I care about it? No, I won't be anxious because it's not something that I treasure. But in this case, we see that if you are anxious about what to eat or drink or wear, then it's because you treasure the things on this earth. In other words, friends, if you treasure the gospel, then you'll be anxious for the things of God. And when you have things like cancer or a history of abuse or a physical disability, instead of thinking about how do I look in front of people, Instead of thinking about how am I debilitated compared to other people, oh, I wish I was like them. In fact, of, in, instead of thinking, oh man, I've got so, little, so few years left to live, you will instead think, man, how can I use this suffering to glorify God? How can I use it for the gospel? How can I use it to build God's kingdom? Right? And that is the way that we Christians are actually given grace. God gives us grace so that we can, in fact, use our suffering for his glory. Are you anxious about God's kingdom? If you are, even cancer can be used to bring him glory. Now, if I can just bring in a quick case study on COVID. So how about COVID? How do you understand COVID? God's grace here that we understand from the Bible, is not just so that we can cope when God gives you grace in your suffering. It's not just so that you can cope through COVID. But in fact, it is one that keeps you firm and centred on his word. One that keeps you anxious about the kingdom. It is one that finds the comfort, finds comfort ultimately in the gospel. And one that is anxious about the things of God. So someone who grasps God's word and God's truth given his grace will say, well, in this period of COVID, what can I do to glorify God? How can I use this period of COVID to glorify God? Oh, yes, now I've got time with my family. Oh, yes, now my neighbors are always there next to me, right? Usually we don't see each other. Now they're always there. I can evangelize to them. Maybe now, wow, I can develop my social media platform to glorify God. You see, one who grasps God and his purposes for our suffering, will use this suffering for his glory. And so thus many of us are rebuked that we don't have this mindset because number one, our comfort in fact is not in the gospel. And number two, we actually do treasure the things of this world. And that is why when we suffer, it really gets to us. That is why when we suffer, we complain, we moan to God, We think that he's not around. We think that we should just curse God and die. That's because we do not, in fact, grasp the gospel. But for those of us who do grasp the gospel, we await for a kingdom that is perfect and that will have no suffering. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Also, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Those of us who grasp the gospel, there's one thing we hope for. There's one thing we await for. The kingdom of God in heaven. And thus I'm going to end with Paul on his imprisonment. And I hope that now you can get it. That after this whole series of five talks on suffering on the sovereignty of God, If you grasp the sovereignty of God, you grasp the gospel and you grasp his purposes in suffering, you will sound this way, as Paul does in Philippians 1, 12 to 27. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Man, this is a guy in prison. And this is the way he talks, man. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, the church is being built. And Paul rejoices in that. That through his suffering, the church is edified and built. 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former who preach out of envy and rivalry, verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul here is not saying that he will only rejoice if he's released. And we can see in the phrase that follows on from verse 20, right? The last part of verse 20, 20b that Christ will be honoured as always in my body, whether by life or by death. 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, if God somehow through this suffering sustains me, what is my end goal? Why do I rejoice? Is it because now my life and the things that I get to enjoy uh, return to me? No, look at verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm going to be alive and I'm going to survive through this suffering, it's going to be for labor, for the gospel. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Right? You see here, it's always gain to be with Christ. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So for the church's sake, Paul sees his importance of being alive. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your man of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Friends, are you worthy of the gospel of Christ? so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Friends, I pray that all of us will grasp what it means to be his people, what it means to be saved to serve, what it means to have a sovereign God who is sovereign even over our sufferings, who gives us sufferings for his glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for teaching us about your sovereignty and how suffering fits into this picture of you being sovereign in giving your people suffering so that ultimately you will be glorified and your church will be built. Help us, Lord, to understand all things according to your word. And as you have promised us grace in our sufferings, I pray, Father, that you will indeed sustain us, that we will continue holding fast to your word, even in times of great difficulty and grievance, that we will hold on to the truth of your word, which then sustains us and perseveres us in our Christian faith all the way till you come again. And not just in a way that we're coping, Father, but in a way where we are actually sounding like Paul, where we are actually thanking God for our suffering in the midst of the pain, the psychological trauma, that we will see, in fact, that based on your truth, that this suffering is for your glory and that we will persevere because of that. So keep us Christian, Lord. Keep us Christian because to be with you is the ultimate gain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you, Eldon. So to sum it up, God does not promise an easier time in suffering, but rather promises his grace for us to persevere in our faith. And when we pray in the midst of these sufferings, it's about a posture of dependence on Him and His will to be done. God does not promise to give us what we ask for, but He promises to keep us faithful and Christian. But His grace is not only for us to cope, but to use our sufferings for His glory. And He knows, He understands, and is with us in our suffering. So look to the cross, and to when we will be united with Him in the end. So if there are any questions you would still like to ask especially pertaining to today's topic, don't hesitate to ask us. You can send in your questions to this number: zero, one, one, two, three, seven, six, two, zero, six, two. I repeat zero, one, one, two, three, seven, six. And as this is the final episode of this series, we will be personally reaching out to you to answer your questions, if there are any. So do join our discussion groups after the talk if you can spare the time. and The links can be found in our Instagram and Facebook pages. And with that, we conclude our Real Talk for today and our series of Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. Thank you for tuning in to Real Talk by IMUCF. We here at IMUCF would like to invite you to join us for our upcoming Friday Midday program, Ohana. And more details will be made available. So do stay tuned. And we pray that you have been blessed by today's sharing and the sharing throughout this series. And we hope you have a good day ahead. So God bless and stay safe.